Oasis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. This story is more embarrassing to me than to Sharna. So, so let me tell you the backstory. Hi, Wendy. The, um, I don't know how long ago it was now, maybe eight years ago, maybe ten. I was in Argentina, and I saw a tango. And I loved it. So I came back to Washington, D.C., and I said... Okay, Mr. Courage, go take tango lessons. This isn't a happy story, because I still can't dance tango, but okay. But so I went, and there was this teacher there, and this was the beginning class. And every lesson, she talked about leading and following, leading and following, leading and following. Having no idea that this was what my whole life's work was about, and I'm just enthralled listening to her. And not only did she talk about it, she had each of us perform both roles because both men and women had to understand the lead role and the follow role to support the other. And she had us do these exercises. How do we follow poorly? How do we follow combatively? How do, and she actually gave us this sense, embodied sense, of what is it like to follow or lead well or poorly. And I am just, I, I can't believe I've stumbled onto this gold mine. So, after the class was finished, and I knew that I was not going to be a tango dancer, <laughs> I revealed to Sharna my fascination. And she got so energized because she had never met anyone outside of the field of dance who was so fascinated, particularly with the follower role and how it contributed to the dance. So I then invited... Sharna to make a video, um, which many of you have seen and some of you probably use in your classes and workshops on leading and following through tango. She was supposed to be dancing with a gentleman from Argentina. He had a family emergency that day. So she wound up dancing with her life partner, Isaac. So the interaction that happens in the video becomes all the richer because 
You know how leading and following goes in personal relationships, right? And so I, I, I have watched the video because I use it in every workshop at least a hundred times and I love it every time. So that's the backstory of Sharna and how we are all benefiting uh, from her being here. She's developed her own way of teaching followership. So Sharna. So what you just heard is an introduction of a pioneer in the followership literature, Ira Shalef, uh speaking about Sharna Fabiano. And my guest today is Sharna Fabiano. And I'm, I'm excited for this conversation because I had just finished about a week and a half ago a really great conversation with Ron Riggio. And he really placed followership front and center in this whole dialogue that we've been having in Phronesis, in Phronesis. And so, Sharna, Ira mentions that you are charting your own path forward with this topic of followership. So tell us about that. I mean, if you'd like to, you can tell us a little bit about you. You are a leadership and followership coach. You are a dancer, as we know. So maybe let's start there. Let's start with a little bit about you, and then we can talk about this path that you're charting forward with this topic, because I can't wait to equate followership with dancing and anything else that you're thinking about moving forward. Sure. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation, too. I think there are, probably aren't many former tango instructors in the leadership and followership coaching space. So that, I suppose, makes me a little unusual. Um, and so the first thing I would say is those terms, leader and follower, those are really common in the tango community. This is how we talk about partnership. And so although in you know the business world, the organizational world, the term follower is still being defined and discussed for us, for, for social dancers, it's very normal. And it's very equivalent with leadership. And so I spent maybe 15, 20 years, you know, kind of my first big adult career in that world. And then I did my graduate work. I did a transition in my career and I got into coaching. But that is so formative in my body, you know, and in my psyche that I couldn't help but start to want to bring those principles into my coaching because I had known them to be so powerful in the conversation of collaborating and you know human connection and community building. So that's sort of what I've been working on for the past couple of years, drawing on these principles of partnership that I'm I've been steeped in as a dancer and looking for ways that they might enhance the conversation of team building and uh, culture and healthy relationship in the organizational world. Well, and I had mentioned a little bit ago this conversation with Ron Riggio, and he said something to the effect of, you know, that we, we know that leaders don't do leadership. Uh, leaders and followers co-create. And I imagine in dance, it's somewhat similar, that you have, you have two people who are co-creating something of beauty. And so would you talk a little bit about that, co-creating? Because I, I, you used the word partner, which I love. So let's explore that for a little bit. Absolutely. Tango is really unusual as 
a partner dance because it doesn't have a basic step. So what that means is if you imagine swing or salsa or even like a ballroom dance like waltz, you probably have in mind a set of steps that both partners would learn and they're kind of symmetrical. And then you do this one, two, three, or this, you know, four, five, six together. In the tango, you don't have that at the beginning. It's it's what we call improvised. So you, at the beginning, like day one, you have to ask yourself, okay, I'm the leader. What do I do? I'm the follower. What do I do? You're very much confronted with that role at the very beginning. You don't have a lot of scaffolding to put around you. And so you you learn, okay, there are things that the leader person does, right? S- certain ways of communicating with the body, certain posture, certain vocabulary pieces. And there are certain things that the follower is responsible for doing too, again, right from the beginning, that allow the couple literally to move together. And both people have to have those skills, distinct but complementary skills, in order to dance together, in order to improvise, in order to have the beautiful transcendent experience that we all aim for, you know, every night and chase for years. So <laughs> I don't think that's any different than leadership. <laughs> so yeah, so there there are these two distinct skill sets. And the other thing that might be interesting to bring in this conversation is just the physicality of it. Because uh, I don't think many outsiders know that. So the leader person uses mostly the upper body, right? The the arms, the shoulders, the upper torso to communicate signals. And it's the literally the top of the body. And the follower person is expressive and contributing mostly from the lower body, the legs, the feet. Uh, that person is responding to those signals, moving into the space around the leader often. And that placement that he or she does, the follower placement, then informs the leader's next signal. So you have this literal kind of top to bottom and then bottom to top manifested in the body. I think that's super interesting to take into organizations where you also have a hierarchy, but we usually just think the hierarchy goes down, right? We don't think of actually going back up with an equal force of support or expressiveness or anything. Uh, But that's how I think about it. I love how you're communicating that because you use some a phrase there that I that I really enjoy equal force. So a, a leader in an organization in hierarchical structure may say what the vision is, but the the followers psychologically and physically in some cases are in or not, right? And I think the leaders sometimes think that they've communicated and think that there's engagement, think that there's buy-in, but from a co-creating standpoint it really isn't co-creating. It isn't a partnership. It's one-sided. And as a result, follower engagement, it's not where it could be. It's, it's not an energized group of men and women who are working towards a common vision. And we see that a lot in organizational life. I've experienced, I'm sure you've experienced that for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now is this mysterious idea of engagement. How do we make it happen? Um, And dancers uh, obsess about this concept, right? They're like, how do I communicate exactly in the right way and make the follower comfortable and make it um, natural and make it exciting for that partner 
to then come with me, right? On the vision, right? The, the dance being the vision in this metaphor. And so there's a lot of care put into that. Uh, and it's known that every, every partnership is different, right? You can't just expect the next partner to be the same, you know, different. They all require different um, way of connecting. And likewise, the follower partner is trained to be able to sync up really fast with each leader and support what that leader is uh, interpreting, you know, in terms of music. So um, that's kind of what I see a little bit missing in the organizational world. There's there's a lot of literature on leadership, right, and how to do it and different ways of doing it. But there isn't this attention, perhaps because the awareness is newer, that there are actually things that people being led do or learn or their abilities there that that make the partnership work better. So that, that's what I've been interested in doing, kind of translating from my tango background into the the work environment. Well, and so what I'm hearing from you, I'm hearing, and, and I think of leadership as this very, I think of leadership very much as an improvisational activity at times in that throughout the day, leaders, followers, individuals in an organization, things are emerging, whether it's in the context of the dynamics of just putting a bunch of humans together in a room or an organization, issues are emerging and the leader and the followers have to respond to these in real time. So I love what you're saying. You use the, the terminology sync up, which I think is beautiful. And I also think it's wonderful how you're thinking about the role of follower in that how well do we help prepare these individuals to follow? And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're thinking about that. How are you thinking about, Ira had mentioned in that intro segment that we did, that you are charting your own path. So what are two or three things you're thinking about as you're charting your own path that are, are new and emergent in this space? What do you think? Well, I will give you the broad strokes of what I'm developing, this translation from Tango into the organization. Awesome. Awesome. And there are three stages of dance training that I've identified that are, I think, totally relevant. The first phase is connection. And these are skills and abilities that sync, kind of sync, sync up, sync up the two, uh, two people or the groups of people. And they include things on the, on the leadership side, probably more familiar, like clear communication, inclusivity, um, making everyone feel they're heard. Uh, but the followership side is equally important. And on that side, you would have listening, right? Not just passive listening, but like really opening yourself to what someone is is expressing and even helping them to express that. Yeah. Um, engagement, obviously, right? We've spoken about, well, what does that really mean? You know, uh, it's not just coming in with your own idea and taking over the meeting no, it's engagement for the purpose of developing an idea someone is asking for your support on. So that well-timed question, like a detail that might have been overlooked, um, being a sounding board, you know, offering an alternative solution. Like th these are things that are, they're like not necessarily flashy, but they're super helpful to a, a person in leadership who's, job it is to develop a big vision for something or a plan, right? They, yes. they can't hold all those 
details in their mind. And that's the follower job, right, is to provide those relevant details. Those would be some examples at the connection level. This is like what allows people to begin to work together and to feel um, connected. Great. The second phase is collaboration. These are my my terms. And this represents the part of the dance where everyone's now familiar with the nuts and bolts, like the vocabulary of the dance. They understand basic rhythm. They're not stepping on each other anymore. They They kind of know where to put their left foot and their right foot. <laughs> and so they're getting around the floor, right? They're, they're doing the work, so to speak. Um, and they're also navigating not to crash into other couples. And so this is like the day-to-day, I do this report, you know, then you take that and you put it into this plan and you're, you're um, finding a rhythm with your team or with your, your leader. And likewise, there's things that dancers do on both sides there to make that work. So the obvious thing for leadership might be like project management, you know, making a timeline, coordinating different parts of a project, also setting expectations for standards of performance or ethics, anything that, you know, would be like, here are the norms that we're all agreeing to. Yes. But on the followership side, you have equally important, and I think sometimes taken for granted, getting your work done. Yes. On time, right? That's not an easy thing, <laughs> right? But we kind of assume, oh, yeah, if I make a project plan, then it's fine. I'm done. Like, well, that's that's only half of it. Yes. So followers, right? That's whether you're dancing or in an, in an office environment, like you're responsible for almost self-managing then all of the things that allow you to produce quality work on schedule. Those are those are skills that that people need to develop. And uh, boundaries is another really important one. And, you know, I think Ira Shalif is one of the most brilliant voices on this topic, that if the follower is not there to ensure that the standards are kept, whether that's a safety standard or an ethical standard, who who will, right? Who will hold those leaders and those organizations accountable? Yes. And so I think that's a power that we don't usually th- assign to to the follower but it's a very important role perhaps the most important Hmm. well and so what's the third so we have we have connection we have collaboration Mm -hmm. and then what's your third the the third element that you're thinking about the third phase is creation and i think a, a lot of us try to zoom to this stage immediately like we want problem solvers we want creative people we want a team full of high achievers but in in dance and i think in life as well the level of be able being able to really create with someone like we would call that to improvise with them at a high level depends on the first two phases yes so if you're not connected with your partner or with your team if you're not smoothly collaborating in the day-to-day necessary uh, tasks of of the work then you will rarely if ever be able to come up with that innovative solution or the the insight that suddenly turns something upside down and you know transforms how you roll out a product or um or up upends an industry or or invents a, like a new uh biotech gadget you know to save lives so those moments of creative 
innovation come from the first two phases. Yes. And so, of course, you need the leader to have the strong vision for that, right? That's kind of the creative leadership side. Uh, see what's see the potential in your people. Um, begin to narrate a new future. But on the follower side, and again, this is just less articulated, you have to have followers who by that time, right, in the relationship are are brave, right? They're they're willing to step out of their comfort zone. They're willing to try something new. They're willing to trust themselves enough to contribute something that might be unusual, but that they know in themselves is this is just, you know, intuitively I feel this is something you need to be pursued or um, not everyone does it this way, but I think it's worth trying. Yes. So those sorts of leaps like come out of a strong relationship almost always. So the whole curriculum that I'm developing is sort of to guide people toward that direction. Uh, but I just don't think you can rush that. You can't kind of just take a shortcut. I love how you're framing it. And you use such an important word, which was scaffolding, which is a word that I'm growing to absolutely love. And the the whole connection, collaboration, creation kind of process, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you have to have some of those foundational. And I, the reason I love how you're thinking about this is because it's on both sides. You, you might be an incredible leader, quote unquote, but if you aren't co-creating, as Ron had said, if you aren't if you aren't co-creating with men and women who are also prepared, going back to the metaphor of dance, if you were if you and I were to dance right now, <laughs> it wouldn't be good because I'm not in any way, shape, or form prepared to contribute. I'm not prepared. I don't have any frames of reference. I don't have any. I don't have any knowledge on how to even help you as I serve in that role, quote unquote. So the attention to that side of the equation, I'm growing to really, really better and better understand it's, it's limited, it's an opportunity, and it's needed. Because I don't know that enough conversations are occurring, at least in the communities that I've been in, enough conversations are occurring that, that need to be happening. And of course, I know that Ira and Robert Kelly and some others have, have really, Barbara Kellerman, have, have really put this conversation to the forefront. But I'm really excited how you're thinking about this. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to just say something about improvising, because I think that word, as it's used outside dance, is sometimes thought of as like not intelligent or not intentional or just kind of, oh, we'll just fly by the seat of our pants and make <laughs> up something, you know. But for dancers, what that means is very sophisticated. Mm. It it implies a lot of training. It implies a tremendous amount of sensitivity and the ability to customize your action for the moment and for the person you're dancing with. Yeah. And I wish I had a, a word that meant that, you know, in like the corporate <laughs> land. Make it up. This is yeah, your space. Exactly. <laughs> but that is, you know, the the ability to do that with different people very quickly through this process of you know, thinking up, 
you know, connecting what I'm calling connecting, collaborating, creating, like mm-hmm. that is the most exciting thing. Like for me, I think now as a coach to be able to share a little bit of how dancers do that and to help people do that in their meetings and their one-on-ones and their, you know, whenever they're interacting with people. As I have become more and more familiar with this topic, and as I have even observed more and more of the dynamics happening in, in, any number of different organizations. I, I oftentimes assert, and it's kind of a provocative question, but I also oftentimes will suggest that followers are often a part of the problem. And I've never really had words for why I thought that until kind of this moment. But I'll, I'll often give examples like this. You know, a follower might make an influence attempt, and oftentimes they it's a poor attempt. It's poorly timed. It's poorly thought through. They might soft pedal it and say things, well, I don't know if this is a good idea, but, or any number of other, they get, they make one influence attempt and give up and don't try again. But I think I've been a little bit unfair because I don't know that we have trained men and women how to sync up, right? So I'd love to explore that a little bit more. How do we help, how do we help followers sync up and I think you'd use the term listening, but in dance, to your point, years of training have gone in to serving in the follower role. There's expertise there. There's excellence there. There's wisdom there to respond and move backwards, I would imagine, some of the time and and be in sync with that other individual. There's great skill. How do we help people be more effective when serving in that role in organizational life? Because I think it's a bunch of hacks. It's as if I were to, again, back to the, the example I used previously, it's as if I were to come and dance with you right now. It would it would be frustrating for you. It would be difficult for you. It would take literally probably months and years for me to get to the level where I'm co-creating with you. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I just want to say, whenever you're ready, Scott, we can make it happen. I'll be on a flight to LA in about a year. Won't take as long as you think. Yes, I I agree. And to your to your thought, followers are part of the problem. I think we have we've been so over overwhelmed and inundated by the leadership industry, right? As Barbara Kellerman says, that we've just t- completely overlooked this and is it's actually now a pejorative right in a lot of environments to be a follower right be a leader not not a follower yes young men and women are not writing applications to college about when they were a great follower right exactly unfortunately in some cases right yet those are those are skills whether you name them followership or whether you name them something else that are essential yeah and so frequently when employees in the role of follower. And I'll say that almost everyone is in both roles at some point during their day, right? Sure, sure. But when you're in the role of the follower, if you try to do leader things, they're usually not going to go well. And I, I think that's what happens a lot because we've learned that the only way to be a good employee is to be a leader or to exhibit leadership qualities. Mm. And so making an influence attempt, right? That's more like kind of a leader-like type thing. It doesn't surprise me to hear that that would be accompanied by some like hedging or, well, here's my idea, but well, I don't know if it's really good or and I'll give up. 
Yes. Because it's not done in, uh, and I'll say, instead of saying in a followership mode, I'll say like in a supportive mode. Great. Oh, wow. Nice. So you could express the same thing in a different way and have it be more effective. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll give you two more terms from the dance world that might be useful. We, we say that leaders invite, that's their main job to invite, either to invite you to dance or to invite you to take a step to the right or invite you to express this sharp accent, right? They're offering a whole string of invitations, right? That create, that give you the opportunity to dance with them. Now, now the, the implicit agreement at the beginning is I'm going to accept the invitations, right? It's like, it's not like every two seconds, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, (laughs) but still the gesture of the leader is an invitation. Well, and there's a, there's a spirit there that is very different than kind of a tyrannical autocratic, you will do this, right? That's, that's more of a forcing style that, so just even the, the language of inviting is, is warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we say that the follower responds. Mm. So I find that super fascinating uh, because it's a very active word, right? We don't say that the follower gets dragged around. We don't say that the follower shows up, right? We say that the follower responds to the invitation, which in, in many ways is even more active than what yeah. the leader is doing. And in, in physical terms, the follower is more active she or he is probably moving about three times more in the dance because of the structure, because she's moving around the leader, uh, taking bigger steps. Sometimes the follower takes steps and the leader doesn't. So physically that person is actually moving more. Hmm. Um, So yeah, inviting and responding. I find that a really useful dynamic to take into the work environment. And of course, then some people will be nervous about that because they're like, well, what if I invite and they say no? I'm like, well, yeah, that's the point kind of, you know. Well, they say no regardless, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many organizations I've been in or even organizations I've worked in where everyone sat there and nodded their head. Like, yes, I will accept your invitation. But psychologically, they were out. They really weren't there. You know, have you felt that before? Sure. Yes. Yeah. And that's, uh, uh, you know, it, it could be because that group wasn't connected to begin with. Like they're not on board yes. at the start. And so then, you know, in my, in my world, like if you're not connected, then you can't do anything together that's meaningful. Yep. Yep. So I think that the first part is just recognizing if you're, if you're the leader, if we're going to have people called leaders, then we're going to have people called followers. And those people have to be equally valued, but we have to recognize that they have choice. Yes. They're not just, you know, obedient peons that are there by convenience, you know? And so if we really, I don't think anyone would, would say that, but we have to act as though it's true. Yes. They, they might not say that, but they may act that way. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so, you had mentioned earlier, and and maybe, well, let's see if you had mentioned this. <laughs> My head's filled with a lot of different thoughts. But, you know, you're inviting and you're responding. And and it's it's there's a tone that's there. 
and it's genuine and authentic, we would hope, right? And I imagine when the tone or when it's not genuine or authentic on either side of the dance, we aren't getting to creation really all that well. I would imagine that it's more difficult to get to that point. I can see that metaphor following beautifully in organizational life. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And this, I think maybe is where it gets a little bit harder to measure because there's a component of being authentic and genuine that is internal, right? You can't like write it down and say, here, look, I... (laughs) I am authentic on a piece of paper, therefore it is embodied, you know, for lack of a better term, it's, you could say the same words, you know, in that meeting and have it come across two different ways. Yeah. You know, so it's not just a matter of learning a couple of phrases, you know, but the, the intention of an invitation or a, you know, a set of a project plan even is, you know, if you think of a project plan as an, as an invitation, you know, you're saying, here, team, I have made this for you in the spirit of a- attempting to unite all of your work in a way that is as efficient as I can so that we can work together in as smooth a way as possible to reach the goal we've we've agreed on together. Yeah. Like that's, if it is done in that spirit, one, you're going to be open to changing it. Yes. Right. And, and two, your, your team is going to feel that they matter. Yes. And this is, it sounds simple, but this is, I think really essential at the connection phase is that the way that we do things, it, it, it matters the the internal uh the attitude that we have toward it really makes a huge difference yes i, I couldn't agree more I, it, the word tone keeps going through my through my mind right now what is the tone we're setting and is it a inviting tone a truly inviting tone where uh, a we are going to co-create tone a i'd love to have your feedback tone or is it a you will now do this tone i don't care what you think tone hurry up and get going tone and that tone would you talk a little bit about that in the world of dance going back to the dance metaphor what are some different tones set by the leader that can throw the whole thing off from the very very beginning are there two or three different styles in dance that will often not lead to this creation to authentic collaboration and, and there may not be, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I would say there are styles that would or would not lead. I would say in any style, you could achieve the creation zone, right? Okay. So that's more like, at least the way we use that word. Sure. It's more about what the shape of things are and, you know, what, what teachers have you emulated and how how do you inflect the language, you know, of the dance. But I would say that similar to, I think, in the organization, there are missing skills that would prevent you from getting there Hmm. and attitudes as well. So if let's say we'll, we'll do both, both roles. So one of the leader's jobs right at the beginning of the dance or as a foundational ability is to stand in such a way, like physically stand in such a way and arrange the, arms in such a way that the 
follower person can be balanced, right? Can and it sounds like a simple thing, but doesn't always happen. Can can well in the organizational life either, yeah, right? Can take the steps in a way that sh- that he or she is balanced. Yes. And so things that interfere with that are like maybe the, the leader person bending forward, right? You can kind of imagine if there's like a hunching forward. Um, if the arms are pulling in too tight, that's going to bend the spine of the follower. Yep. If the the hands that are up in the air, you know, on one side, there's two hands up in the air usually. If that arm of the leader is pushing forward, right, that will create pressure on the follower's shoulder and she will have to bend somehow or adjust, right, in order to stay connected. So hmm. physically, like the follower person can actually, the leader can also suffer damage, so to speak, but but is the follower is more vulnerable because of the sure. position. So if those things are not happening, then that that couple will probably never get out of the connection phase or if they do it'll be at a cost a high cost to to one of them okay um so on the follower side right one of the jobs that they have is to uh is to take one step at a time okay the way the tango works because there's no basic step you have a signal from the leader and then you have a step from the follower there's some exceptions but to simplify that's how it works yeah. So the directions happen in terms of one step at a time, left, right, back, side, etc. So if a follower isn't trained to do that and says, well, I'm just going to take five steps because that's what I feel like doing, uh, then they, they get disconnected. Right? Then yeah. the leader has to just sort of wait until the partner stops moving and then can give another signal. But in that time, they're not co-creating. They're just they're sort of both both doing their a separate thing. It's not a dance. Yeah. Those are just a couple examples, but those are like really essential, right. For the whole thing to work. Um, you know, on the leader side, it's, it's making, I guess in the organization, you know, I would translate that into saying, do people feel like physically comfortable? Do they have the equipment they need to do their work? Yep. Are, do they feel like psychologically safe and included in order to yep. speak and do their work? Yep. Um, and on the follower side, you know, are they doing what what's relevant to the moment, you know, versus just doing what they feel like doing, right? In terms of the project, like someone asks you to do A and you do L, that's that's not going to help. It doesn't mean. I think this is where we get kind of lost in the what is following, and I'm I'm only valuable if I do something that's leader like. Hmm. Right. Well, you asked me to do this, but I think I should do something different. So I'm just going to leave the plan, you know, and that, that happens, but that for me is like a failure to understand followership that I am in that role. I'm valuable and contributing and strong. If I provide exactly the thing that is, that is needed. Yes. And then maybe something else can come from that. Yes. How how often does how often do the roles switch? So for instance, if I tend to if I tend to dance as a follower, does that mean I I default into that role most often or are there are there individuals who are ambidextrous or is it just the norm that you're ambidextrous that you could serve in either role? How does that work in the in the tango world? At the moment, there are more individuals who prefer to do one role at okay. just as a normal thing. 
Yep. Uh, there's a growing percentage of people, particularly in, I would say, Europe, United States, who are ambidextrous. Okay. And I, I'm, you know, I'm in that category because that, that's, I'm just interested. Um, and there's, there's also a growing number of, I, I would say right now there's more, and this is kind of a, a little bit of like a gender thing, right? There's more women who prefer to be in the following role and that's the conventional, the conventional setup. And there's more men who prefer to be in the leading role, but it is, it is changing. Okay. Yeah, it's changing. What have you learned or what observations do you have about being ambidextrous, so to speak? That's not the dance term, I imagine. <laughs> but but what have you learned about dance having served in both roles or working to master both roles? Well, I think almost everything, actually. <laughs> you know, I think having done that, and I'll just you know, give a shout out of gratitude to my teachers, my early teachers who advocated for that. Hmm. Uh, I think that one, it, it actually kept me dancing in, you know, in the community. There's and part of the reason for that is that there tend to be uh, more women okay. in the, in the dance community. And so if you have, if the women are only following and men are only leading, then you just won't dance as much. So that's one thing, it, being able to dance both roles and being able to dance with anyone, it, it just made my dance experience much more broad and inclusive. Yep. <clears throat> and so that kept me engaged in the community, you know, for, for longer. So that alone is, I think, interesting for me to reflect on. Uh, and then it, it just, you know, radically changed my understanding of the dance. I think it allowed me to become proficient at it much more quickly. Really? It, you know, being standing in the leader's shoes physically yeah. showed me how important it was for, for the follower to do certain things, right? And not, and not others. So you immediately feel that, how that important it is. And so when you switch, you're like, oh, well, now I know how important it is, you know, to be present one step at a time, to be, find that sort of meditative stillness in my upper body, all the things that, you know, you're taught as a follower, but you, you gain such an appreciation for that, you know, and the reverse, right. It's also true. When I'm following, I understand why it's important for the leader to stand up straight, you know, why it's important for the leader to, to give very clear signals that are not um, contaminated with extra attention or superfluous nervous movements, right. Because those things make it hard to understand. So it it just gave me such a deep understanding of how each of the roles supports the other. Yes. That I, uh, I mean, just made me love the dance more. And it, I think it also allowed me to see all these parallels, right, in the world off the dance floor. Well, and, and it helps, it, I imagine it helped you empathize also, right? Absolutely. You can, you, you, you're, you're experiencing and living a whole nother half of the reality, quote unquote. And so I think that's really cool. I think that's wonderful. And, and to, you're correct. Kudos to your early, early teachers who challenged you to take on both roles. I think that's wonderful. I, I'm, I'm so excited about the work that you're doing. and. I'm I'm impressed with how you're thinking about this space. I love speaking with men and women who maybe didn't come up through the 
MBA PhD or MBA IO psychology or, you know, the traditional route to an individual who is coaching or training or teaching leadership. Because I think coming at this topic from so many different angles, and there's so many different lenses through which we can talk about this topic, I think it just adds a beautiful perspective. And so I'm really, really excited to see what you create. I'm really excited by this notion of scaffolding education for followers. How do we help prepare followers to be more in tune, to listen, to intervene skillfully? And how do we frame that role better? It seems to me in your world, the roles of the two are fairly, fairly clear. Obviously, there's, there's nuances and differences, but to be successful, to get to that, that creation stage, it's likely that we have a fairly solid understanding of our roles and we are so in tune that it almost, I would imagine, you get to a place of almost flow where it's just happening, right? I don't know that we're there in any way, shape, or form when it comes to the topic of leadership. I don't think we're even on the dance floor yet. We're putting our shoes on, <laughs> thinking about walking onto the floor when it comes to the topic of followership. I, I guess we'll we'll kind of start to land the plane there, Sharna. But do you have anything else that you want listeners to be thinking about as you, as we close out this conversation? Well, I just wanted to comment on your on your comment on yes. being fluid and flow. And that is actually exactly how the tango diehards, right? The, yes. the tango junkies, as they're sometimes called, they describe. <laughs> if you're going to be a junkie, I suppose that's a good type of junkie to be. You know, I'm addicted to tango. <laughs> right, right. This is how they talk. But they describe they're dancing that way. They say, oh, it just, you know, the roles disappear and it, it was just pure improvisation. You know, I, um, I had this experience of oneness, you know, it was, uh, it was so, so creative. Um, so when, once you get to that level, the, like the, cre- the creative level, the experience is that the roles sort of dissolve, Yeah, which is, interesting, right? It's like a paradox, you know? And I think that when you have a really integrated team, it feels like that too. You know, it doesn't matter so much who has the idea because you're all just throwing in, you know, whatever is needed. Like everyone knows what's needed and, and the team moves forward. But I, I would just, you know, remind us, I guess that, that you can't, you can't just jump to that, even though that's the ideal, what makes it possible is the scaffolding. Yeah. And so if we want that to be a more regular experience, not just a fluke of, oh, some teams just get it together and they're amazing, great. But if we want more teams to have that, to get to that level, uh, I mean, I, you know, it's for me education. It's like, let's start because there is a path. Yeah. Right. Let's, let's put that scaffolding in place so that everyone can, can make it, you know, to there. And it's not as mysterious. So Sharna, I, I often will close out these discussions by just asking quickly, is there anything that you're streaming or watching right now that you think listeners would be interested in? And is there anything that you're reading or listening to that you think readers would be listening to? I know, I know you're working on a book, correct? Yes. Yes. So we will be reading that. <laughs> I 
That would be marvelous. Yes. Hopefully early 2021. That's the, the general plan at the moment. So what are you reading? What are you consuming? I should say it could be watching, listening, reading, anything stand out for you. And it could have to do with followership and the topic we've discussed or tango, or it could just be something that that's caught your attention. Well, I have to say right now I'm, I'm catching up on my anti-racist reading and I'm reading Ibram Kendi and uh, Robin D'Angelo and a number of other authors in this space. And I have been thinking seriously about a protest as, as followership, you know, as what is the citizen follower, Mm. you know, and, you know, it might seem like a big leap, you know, but this is just how my, my, my mind works, you know, everything is in relationship. And so if, if there's followers or group of followers, you know, citizens who, who are, you know, frankly being told they don't matter yeah, for, for centuries, like there's, that's inherently dysfunctional, you know, in my, in my mind. And so I'm kind of curious about looking at it that way, you know, that's kind of my analytical brain and then finding, okay, what's my, what's my place in this movement once I educate myself and, you know, get, get myself more up to date on how others are thinking about it. Yeah. That's where I am right now. Yeah. It it reminds me of my favorite quote, which is, it's been attributed to a number of different people, but it's every system is perfectly designed for the results that it achieves. And I think we have data that, you know, the system is not producing results in, you know, there's a number of red flags, many longstanding red flags, some newer red flags, but in, in many ways, the system isn't healthy. And so... Any specific books by either of those authors that you'd like to recommend that's standing out for you or articles? Um, yeah, the, I mean, the, the ones I picked up are How to Be an Anti-Racist and White Fragility. And uh, I, I can't put my finger on it right now, but a recent interview with Ibram Kendi, he, he asked, I think, a really provocative question, which now seems obvious to me, but what are we missing because of the system? You know, because we're excluding people and, you know, violently. So what do we don't have? What are we actually, you know, we're not at the creation phase, right? Yeah. If, if we're, if we're doing this. And so I think a lot, you know, a lot of white people, the de- knee jerk reaction is like, oh, I need to do extra work or we're going to lose something, but we're already in a deficit, hmm. you know, and he kind of linked this d- dysfunctional system to the fact that we, we don't have, universal healthcare. We don't have a strong uh, com- community support system. Like these are connected, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was incredibly insightful and it's like the thing you hear and then you can't unhear it. Mm-hmm. Well, at least my perspective on this topic is that there are a number of citizens in urban and rural all over our country. And, and this is, I'm speaking of the United States right now, you know, some of those, we could go to Maslow's hierarchy, safety, food, shelter. Some of those base level needs are at risk psychologically and physically. And again, that's, that's a, that's a troublesome place to be. So how do we work on the system to help achieve new and different results? Because despite the good intentions of, of people from generations past, and in many cases, ill intentions, here we are, and it's achieving the results it is. So I love how you're thinking. And I love that you're taking the, the concepts that we've been discussing to that level too. That's awesome. That's really cool. 
Charna, I have loved our conversation. Thank you for the work that you're doing. We are excited to read your book in 2021. I'll have you back when, when it's out and we'll talk about and we'll update everybody. But I really, really appreciate your time today. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Scott. It was a great pleasure. I really enjoyed my conversation with Sharna Fabiano. Uh, as you could probably tell, my mind was just spinning. The three words for Sharna, for me, it's pretty simple. It's connect, collaborate, and create. I loved how she was thinking about scaffolding that's required really at each of these three levels on both sides for leaders and followers. I also loved how she described the invitation and the response. So a leader invites and the followers respond. Both are active, engaged roles. Now, I implore you to watch the Tango video that is in the show links that is based on the work of Ira Shalef, but Sharna is featured in that video, and I think it does a nice job of also getting to some other points that are critical when it comes to this conversation. So the last thing I really want to speak about is improvisation. Sharna said, for dancers, what that means is very sophisticated. It implies a tremendous amount of sensitivity and the ability to customize your action for the moment and for the person you're dancing with. Improvisation. And I'll leave you there. How does that quote apply to leadership and followership? As always, thanks so much. Have a great day. Be well. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.